Good morning. That's not going to fly. All right, we'll see if Big Bible is heavy on this little stand. Let's hope it stays. Uh, you can open to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Uh, this morning we're on our second, series, our second Sunday through our series on Advent. Uh, so last week we talked about hope. And the hope that we have in Christ, is specifically speaking, is the hope that we celebrate of the second coming of Christ, uh, that everything that God promises to us in his word, we can know for certainty will happen. And so we, ha- we live with this hope, not that Christ is going to come for the first time. That's already happened, and we praise God for that, but that he's going to come again. This morning, we're looking at the idea of peace. And, and you might often hear people talk about Christmas being a a very peaceful time where there can be peace on earth and we can kind of get along and we can um, just allow some of the difficulties or the struggles or the arguments that we have. We can just let that go because uh, this is the season for peace. And I'm actually going to argue that that's not what Scripture teaches us. That the peace that we have is not a peace on earth, but rather a peace from a spiritual sense. And so we're going to look at a very familiar verse in Luke chapter 2, specifically verse 14, but I'm going to read from 8 to 14 in just a moment. And then I'm going to explain to you why I think that sometimes when we talk about this peace on earth, that we miss the point of what the text is trying to teach us. So let me just pray really quickly as we start, and then we will read from 8 to 14. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can worship you. What a privilege it is. And, and so as we open Scripture now and as we just read the words that you have written to us, would you open our hearts and would you show us the things that are true that we can know? Not the things that, that I think or the things that I want to say, but the things that you have already spoken to us in your word, which we know to be completely true. So God, would you be with us in these next few moments? Amen. Christmas as a whole, uh, one thing that can happen is Christmas can be very hectic. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen. If you have family coming over, there's, there's decorations that have to happen. There's all this baking that has to happen, and I approve of all Christmas baking, just for the record. Uh, there's guest rooms to get ready. There's Christmas decorations to put up. There's uh, Christmas traditions that the various families have. And, and so often what can end up happening is that we... We, we decide to pack so many things into such a small season that all it does is cause us more stress and more anxiety. And we say, well, we have to do this, and we have to do this, and when some of those things don't end up happening the way we want, it, it can seem like anything but a peaceful season. And so in this text this morning, I want to show why it's not about a peaceful season. And in fact, in some ways, I'll, I'll show and I'll argue that if God was after peace on earth, the first, when Jesus came for the first time, then, then God failed. And I don't believe that God has failed. So let's read this together and we'll see. So starting in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, it says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, 
there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So that verse 14, that's the key verse for what's happening here. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now let me just clarify a couple of things here. Is myself specifically, and we as a church, we believe that the Holy Scriptures, that the Bible that you have in your hand, that in its original language, so in the Hebrew and in the Greek, that it is completely perfect and without error and fully inspired by God. In other words, there are men and women that had a part in writing Scripture, but it all came from the very mouth of God. And they wrote down exactly what God wanted us to hear. However, in our desire to translate things, some translations sometimes miss the mark. And this specific verse is one of those verses that has done that uh, specifically in... Um, and I, I'm not trying to pick on a translation here. I'm just trying to show something that sometimes is missed. In the King James Version, this is how verse 14 is translated. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It sounds like a very blanket statement that applies to every single person. But when you read it in any of the more literal translations, you end up with peace among those with whom he is pleased. So you read a section, there's, there's a conditional clause there. Peace is available to you if God is pleased with you. And that is a huge difference in those translations. And so no one translation in English is perfect. We shouldn't just camp out with one translation and say, this is, this is the one I like, this is the best one. We have to realize that every translation in the English language, at one time or another, misses a little bit of it. And so we need to surround ourselves with the various different translations and read it and try to come to consensus to what this says. Because if we only go by one version, if we say the King James is the only accurate version, then we understand this verse wrong, which I think can lead us to a misunderstanding of God and the gospel. If we think that God came in the person of Jesus to bring peace to the world, well, look at our world today. Our world is not a very peaceful place. It's just not. Look at the very first Christmas and think about kind of the context of the story is, is Jesus is born and the star appears. And uh, just for the record, one of my pet peeves, the wise men that are here, they're not here for a couple of years. So they're a little early to the party here. But they, they come uh, to Herod and they say, let's go, we got to see this, this Messiah that's born. Herod is so threatened that what does he do? He orders every child under two years old to be killed because he's so afraid that his rule, that his throne is being compromised. That doesn't sound like a very peaceful time. Mary and Joseph are warned by an angel, flee into Egypt with a newborn. That doesn't sound very peaceful. Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew 10 and uh, John 15 and John 16. Various times he says, the world hates me. They're going to hate you. Be prepared for the tribulation that's coming because life is going to get difficult. It is going to get burdensome. You are going to be persecuted. In fact, the older you get, maybe the more you realize this, is that as a Christian, the less peace from a worldly perspective we find. 
Imagine going to some of the places in the world right now where persecution is great and telling them that don't worry, God will bring you peace, a peaceful life. And they're having to flee their countries for persecution. There's a conditional clause found in this verse, and this conditional clause is so important for us to understand. Glory to God, this is spoke by the angels, in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Commentator and theologian Wayne Gruden says it this way, the peace of salvation that God gives through his son Jesus is the prince of peace, prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6. Among those with whom he is pleased means that God's gift of peace will come not to all humanity, but to those whom God is pleased to call to himself. What Grudem and others are saying is that while Jesus is offered to all and the offering of a spiritual peace is available to everyone, not everyone will accept that peace. And this is the reality of it is the gospel comes with a a condition that we would repent and we would turn to God. That's just the reality of it. Not our good works, not how much good we can do, not if our good outweighs our bad, not how good we can follow the Ten Commandments. None of those things. The only condition on the gospel is that we would turn from our sins and that we would follow after Jesus Christ. And then we are promised peace. But again, not a peace in the physical sense, not a peace in you won't have stress or you won't have trial or you won't have tribulation, but rather a spiritual peace that God will give to us. In Matthew 10, Jesus says it this way in verse 34. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And that is a complicated verse. We could open that up for a long time this morning. But what I want to show you is in the Old Testament, People had been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come like we talked about last week. Jesus comes, but Jesus comes not the way that they expected. The people were expecting and waiting for a a Messiah to come and to release them from Roman tyranny. That they would no longer have opposition, that they would have freedom to live in the way that they believed God wanted them to live. And so when Jesus comes, even the disciples are are waiting for this moment, and you see various arguments that happen, and this is one of those moments where they're kind of like, hey, Jesus, like we're waiting for you to kind of free us. And you're not doing that. And so Jesus says, well, don't think that I've come to bring peace. At least not yet. When Jesus comes the second time, and when there's, when there's, when we're separated, uh, as as Scripture says, and we will be brought, those of us who believe in Christ, brought to heaven, we will have peace for eternity. And that's the second part of that. But the first part of that was that Jesus was going to come, that he was going to die on the cross for our sins because we stood as enemies of God and we needed not a physical peace, we needed a spiritual peace to be brought to us. So that when God would look at us, he would not see us in our sin, but he would see Jesus' blood covering our sin. And so that is the biggest thing that we need to understand of this, is that it wasn't about physical peace. It was about spiritual peace. It was about a promise that we can stand, as, as it says in Hebrews, that we can boldly approach the throne of God with confidence because Christ covers our sin. 
Because we now can stand there knowing that God loves us, knowing that God has adopted us into his family, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Romans 8, 6 to 8 says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Jesus tries and and Paul tries. Scripture's showing us over and over and over that the peace that God brings us is not this this physical sense, but is this spiritual sense, and that needs to be where our focus is placed The disciples needed to be reminded of this over and over and over again. And even when Jesus died on the cross, and then he rose again in Acts chapter 1, just before the famous verse in chapter, or in verse 8 of chapter 1, the the disciples kind of go to Christ and they go, okay, okay, now, now that you've died, now that you've risen again, now is it time for you to free us and to bring us out from this oppression? And, And Jesus goes, well, well, no. And he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He keeps saying to them, your vision is narrow-minded. Your, what your desire is is so short-sighted, and mine is far bigger than this. You need to look beyond just wanting this simple, quiet, peaceful life here where you don't have oppression. Rather, this is about salvation. And Paul's reminding us here, and he's writing to a church to say, don't set your mind on the flesh, because if you do that, your, your focus becomes there, and you cannot please God then, because you're living in what your own desires are, not in what the Spirit wants. And I think too often, we start to evaluate how blessed by God we are based on the things that we have or that we don't have. When rather what Scripture teaches us is that we have everything we could possibly need because we can stand face to face with God confidently knowing that He loves us and has adopted us. We are part of His family. And so while our our tribulation might be quite extreme right now, while the difficulties that we're facing might be awful, that doesn't mean you're outside of God's blessing. In fact, if you take Job as the example, it's the very reason that God even allowed Satan to oppress him was to show God's triumph over evil. Job was doing everything right. He was living every, he was living every part of his life correctly and still calamity befalls him and, and he doesn't understand why. And he never really even gets the answers that he's seeking. But so often we start to tie those together and we start to say, well, life is going real smooth right now. God must be blessing me. What if God's blessings are not just the good, at least as we define good? What if God's blessings are allowing us to lose everything that we have so that we recognize that the only thing that will satisfy us is him in the first place? What if God allows us to lose a loved one so that others can come to see and to know Christ? As you read in the bulletin, is, uh, John passed away this past week. And while I was visiting with Clara and Debbie, 
Clara has a faith that is pretty neat. And if you want your faith to grow, just spend some time with her. And she said the neat thing that was happening is, is as all the things were kind of going through the, the reality of, of everything in the hospital, people would come and they would see the peace that this family has and they wouldn't understand. How can you have peace in a time of calamity? How can you have peace in a time of grief? Well, what does Philippians say to us? Let me read to you from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The very reality of the peace that God gives us is that that peace is not based on our circumstances and doesn't make any kind of sense from a worldly perspective. We have hope, and Clara has hope because she knows that she'll see John again. That doesn't mean that there's not grieving. That doesn't mean that there's not hurt and pain. All of those things are natural human emotions that we all have to deal with, but we have perspective because we know that we have peace with God. We know that we can be with him for all of eternity. And so for Clara and family and for others who have lost people, if they have a relationship with Christ, if they had a relationship with Christ on the earth, then we know as Christians this is not the end. This is not this immense grief with uncertainty. There's a grief, but a grief with hope and with peace because we know we get to see them again. What greater promise could we have than that we have a God who's conquered death? That there's nothing that can stand in the and so for us, when we read verses like this, when we're reminded that God came and that there is peace to be had in that, it's not from a sense of our circumstance and it's not from what we have or what we don't have. It's from the fact that Jesus and Jesus alone was the atoning sacrifice for our sins and so now we don't have to fear as, as the song we just sang, we, we're not a slave to fear anymore because we're children of God. And we know that our Father loves us desperately and we know that we now have peace with Him because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So my challenge to us is, as Paul challenges the Romans, is don't think of the flesh. When you're being overwhelmed by the difficulties and challenges, when the sicknesses and, and when the death around us and what, whatever various thing that we're going through, that that's not everything. And yes, it hurts. Yes, there's pain. And we're not trying to pretend like any of that's not there. But we are trying to realize that the peace that passes all understanding is available to you because of the blood of Jesus. So while we grieve and while we hurt and while we go through persecution and trial, we can have the same attitude of the apostles who counted themselves or counted it a blessing that they were able to suffer for the name of Christ. See, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of stress or heartache. Peace is how we respond to those things. 
Every one of us is at war. Paul tells us in Romans that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but that we're in a spiritual battle. And that battle is going to take place every single day of our lives till it ends. And yet we can live in peace because we know how the story ends. We know that Christ conquers. And whether we live or whether we die, whether we get the things that we hope for or whether we get the things that we need rather than what we hope for, we know that God is good. And that we can submit ourselves to him. And so if you this morning are not feeling peace, if you're feeling overwhelmed and overrun by all the things that you have to do or the hurt or the pain that's in your heart or the the frustration that maybe you have with God about things that are happening in your life, is remember that this is just temporary and it's just a moment. And yes, it hurts, but this will pass. And we will have eternity where we will be at peace, not only spiritually, but physically as well, because it all will be culminated in the second coming of Christ, where we will have everything that we could ever possibly want. So as we celebrate this peace, and as people talk about the peace that Christmas brings, let's remind ourselves, and and maybe ask God for moments to remind others, that this peace is far more important than just a physical thing. Far more important than just a temporary contextual thing of right here and right now. But we have eternal peace in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. That he came to the earth and that he lived this perfect life and that he died on the cross for our sins as the only atoning sacrifice so that we could stand before you knowing that we have spiritual peace with you. God, we could, we could ask for nothing greater than that. So as we go through this Christmas season, as we hear songs about peace on earth, may we be reminded that that peace has a condition on it. And that condition is that we would come face to face with Jesus Christ and that we would make him Lord of our lives. And when we do that, we can know that nothing that the world can throw at us can take that peace away. So God, help us to not focus on the flesh. God, for those this morning who are, who are struggling, who are grieving, who are going through times of disappointment, God, may all of us not dwell on the things of the flesh, but may we be reminded that we have peace with you for eternity. God, help that be our focus. God, you are good. And would you help us in these coming days and weeks as we lead up to the celebration of Christmas, would you remind us constantly the real reason that we celebrate? That Jesus Christ was born and that he was born so that he could die for our sins so that he could rise again, so that we could receive the Holy Spirit, so that we could be assured eternity with you. And so, God, we celebrate that. God, this morning, I want to particularly pray for Clara and her family. As they grieve the passing of John, and yet as they grieve with hope, knowing that they will see him again. 
God, would you be at work in their hearts and in their minds? And would you, would you give them this exact peace that is talked about in Philippians, one that doesn't make any sense from an external perspective, and yet one that inwardly we know we can have because of the blood of Jesus. So God, would you comfort Clara and family this morning? And on Saturday, as we celebrate together the life of John and celebrate that he made commitment to your son, Jesus. God, would that just fill us with hope and excitement? God, only you can take even death and can turn it into something beautiful. So we praise you for that. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And we just pray that as we go from here this morning, that we would focus on you not on the physical, but on the spiritual. God, we love you. Amen. Just a reminder, there are snacks just across here in the kitchen and the foyer. Uh, if you are visiting with us, we would just encourage you to come and to just spend some time in fellowship with us. And, and we would just uh, thank you for coming with us this morning. Have a wonderful week.